This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run at 6 a.m. on Friday, the June the 3rd. It is another long weekend for Malaysians as Monday is a public holiday in honor of the young Dipetuan Agong. By the way, I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Kusu Chuang and Tan Chen Lee to celebrate the coming of the weekend. Good morning, yeah. good morning. Good morning and yay. <laughs> yay. Friday. Friday, yeah, 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 yeah. as I like to call it. Uh, and not only is it Friday, but it's also World Bike. Bicycle Day, and I happen to know that the both of you are bicycle. Um, I don't know enthusiasts. Enthusiasts. I've got four of the suckers. <laughs> no, I do. I've got one, but I've got a lot of accessories that go with. And go yours with is it. quite mahal one lah. Where God? I got four cheap ones. You got one expensive. Yeah. One. <laughs> Well, World Bicycle Day was set up in 2018, and the idea is to recognize the versatility and uniqueness of the bicycle, as well as its reliability and sustainability as a mode of transportation. Which, when you think of it, is true. It doesn't emit any carbon. Well, not while you're using it, while you're making it, probably. But uh, it's you know fairly carbon-free as you just cycle. It's good for your health, um, and provided that infrastructure is is well uh, well built up, you know, yeah. it's pretty. I do not have a bicycle you must get one, it's great I have not had a bicycle for a very long time And I keep thinking about it But again, I feel that uh, without the proper roads And without really the right weather <laughs> It's a bit prohibitive to go cycling You know, surprisingly during the pandemic There was a lot of people who picked up cycling I've got like um, probably stationary at home, lah. No, the outdoor. Oh, really? Yes, I've got like six, seven girlfriends who actually approach me and ask me for advice for bikes, uh, oh. bikes, um, uh, shopping. Good, I mean, good, very good. Yeah, very good. surprisingly. Indeed. I mean, tell us if you've taken up bicycling during the pandemic or if cycling is one of your hobbies. Uh, WhatsApp us zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's also the theme of our breakfast grill today when Philip C speaks to Alec Lim, CEO of Bino Technologies, a locally based electric bike startup. But we also have a ton of other conversations of full of interesting insights. What do we have this morning? At 7.15, we discuss takeaways from the Barisan National Convention and signals on the timeline for GE15 with political analyst Dr. Hamidin Abdul Hamid. 7.30 is a discussion on the Russian-Ukraine uh, conflict because uh, the European Union has uh, state pets and basically been unified in sanctioning Russian oil. We talked to uh, Friedrich Klim of the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies on the uh, extent of time the, the EU can stay united. And later on after that, we will untangle the reasons behind the delay in implementation of the labour agreement between Malaysia and Bangladesh with economist Dr. Niaz Asadullah. We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was The Beatles with I Feel Fine. And keeping with the emotional theme before that was Queen with Crazy Little Thing Called Love. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.08 on Friday, the 3rd of June. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Kusu Chuang and Tan Chen Lee. Now, the first story of the morning is from The Economist titled The Power of Small Gestures. Chen Li, can you walk us through what this article is about? A little bit emotional. No, not really. But anyway, I'm going to start with asking you guys a question. When was the last time you showed recognition or appreciation of a staff perhaps or a colleague? I thanked um, my producers yesterday, our producers, for um, booking guests. <laughs> wow. Yes, I said yeah. thank you. But I, then I just... that's part of their job. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well when they deserved it. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I say nice things to to them. I, I think, but I don't don't really buy them stuff. I should, right? I don't know. Yeah, you can start buying makan, me stuff. Yeah. <laughs> buying us oh, stuff. I like buying food. I like buying food. For oh, we're, we're good. We're good with that. <laughs> I think food is a very Asian gesture, right? I mean, if you, it is a, a, an Asian gesture of appreciation to show food, to give food, to make sure that the person you're in care for is well fed. That's just how we show. Um, affection and appreciation. Yes, correct. And all these small gestures sometimes, you know, is is really a motivation for a lot of employees. And you don't need to do something huge, you know. So I think there are some corporations who industrialize uh, in appreciation. Oh, really? Yes. So for example, there could be like award schemes or award ceremony that is like, uh, you know, things that you have to win and work really hard for. Is that really appreciation? You know, come to think of that. I mean, you see that in a lot of establishments where they have employee of the month, perhaps, and then you have your picture put up on the wall. Yeah. Um, and that's supposed to sort of be a motivation, uh, t- uh, an incentive for employees to work hard and to attain to something, right? It's also uh, very prominent in government service. They have a they have a appreciation uh, awards maybe every quarter or so to but do you think that's effective uh, it wasn't effective in government service when I was there because it was on a rot- a rotation basis <laughs> So everyone could expect to be nominated at some point in their time um, so that, uh, you know, the the gifts were allocated, uh, distributed evenly. I think in a social setting, these gestures are meaningful only when they are really meant. In a professional setting, for example, the typical structure is the boss to the subordinate, right? And they should only be given out when it's meaningful and it should be accompanied by something material, significant, like, in, in the like sense what? that... For example, a day off or maybe a little bit of money or an or, or like a raise or a bonus or something mm. um, to show mm. that you really like the person. Because in, in many cases, a picture on a wall or, or some kind of like token, it's it's only to- token. It's it's disingenuous, right? Yeah. Um, and in a family setting, in, you know, family members, among among family members, you show them that you appreciate them, you think they're doing a good job when they're actually doing a good job, not because you feel that they, they need to be lifted. I, I know that that's a bit of a... Well, contentious issue, right? Yeah, because, well, sometimes because but your appreciation you, or compliment can lift them up. You know, like in, a, like in a Western family, right? You tell your child, oh, you can do anything. You can be anyone you want. But in reality, you can't, right? And you're setting them up for, fa- for failure. Is that so? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think so. I mean, we could argue so about... So that's contentious, right? Yeah. But in a professional setting, if, if you really have a subordinate who's really doing a fantastic job, you should reward that person. And mm. you should tell them that this person is valued. Mm. And you should do and not just don't just do, but also feel and, and think in that way. Alignment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it becomes meaningful. Yeah, I, I, I guess um, I think even for small gestures or small things that someone did, that person deserves an appreciation. Yeah. I think that the um, it doesn't have to be something too big. Even anyone actually, even someone who's just maybe perhaps even the tea lady or someone sweeping the floor yes, sometimes just show that kind of appreciation. Especially people like the tea lady, yes. Yeah, yes, but yes. a lot of people forgot about them. Yeah. And, and somehow, too many organizations get very top heavy, mm-hmm. and then they get all the promotions and all the um, all the perks, and then the middle liners and then the you know the floor guys are like, hey, what about us, right? Yeah. yeah, but anyway, the article actually talks about how uh, companies have industrialized uh, this appreciation or these and small I, gestures, and that's the problem. That is the problem yeah. exactly. So we should actually do it on a more sincere basis, other, rather than automated thank 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 you notes or birthday or you know like a well like you know, an automated companies, monthly. A lot yeah. of companies they tell people, "Oh, you are a number one asset." You know, you without you, we would be nothing. And then in the middle of COVID, they tell you, "Go back to office and work." And then you can't take leave. Do you know mm. what I mean? So, hello, right? If you really believe in it, 
show me. Don't just tell me, show me. Right. So there has to be a distinction made between these kind of superficial symbolic gestures and perhaps actual meaningful indications that um, employees are valued or otherwise. Um, Tell us what you think. You know, does your workplace do a good job of letting you know that uh, your uh, contributions to the company are valued? You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.13 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we will discuss... Discuss why do countries strive for world records? Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was Bad Company with Ready for Love. We're ready for the weekend. We're the morning run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Tan Chun Lee and Kusu Chuang on Friday, the 3rd of June, 6.19 in the morning. Our next story is courtesy of CNN, which covers... Uh, the latest unveiling of a new glass bridge in Vietnam, which has set a world record. Chuang, what's the story here? Yes, um, this is a, this bridge is located in Son La province near the, uh, I think, western side of Vietnam and the northwestern side. So it's, it's the border uh, next to Laos, right? And this bridge was actually declared world's longest of its kind uh, by the Guinness Book of World Records uh, um, with about 2,100 feet in length narrowly beating the one in Guangdong, which was about 1,700 okay, uh, in China. So what made me think about this is, was these records are now being um, built, uh, these bridges are now being built and these records are being broken by countries in Asia. And these, these countries in Asia are obviously courting the tourist dollar, who are obviously going there to take photographs on the bridge and being very cognizant of the power of social media and Instagram, and thereby dri- driving visitors to other ways untraveled to parts of the country, thereby building new markets. So these kind of things, um, they're obviously economic in nature to, 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 to drive the tourist dollar. And uh, Malaysia's not, not, you know, it's not, it's not just these two countries, other countries in, in Asia are doing it as well. Malaysia's doing it, you know, with, you know, driving um, visitors away from Penang or away from KL into new parts of the country. I have questions about whether this kind of infrastructure projects are needed to channel tourists to a particular place that could be cultivated for perhaps its more natural exactly. offerings, you know? Exactly. So I'm one, I, I have mixed feelings about, about, about things like this. Same. Uh, I understand, I suppose, the rationale for it, but why couldn't they do that by perhaps making better infrastructure facilities for uh, campers who want to go there, for jungle explorers perhaps, or providing some kind of ecotourism um, facilities perhaps? Because um, those are difficult and those are quite narrow in appeal. If yeah. you don't want to go and encounter mosquitoes or set up a tent. I'm sure there are mosquitoes on the glass bridge as well, right? It's still in the same yeah. area. Mm. You, there's a glass bridge in Langkawi as well. There's a glass bridge in Penang, in the, you know, Penang Hill as well. So they're, they're all over the shop, you know. And people like to go there because they are comfortable. There's a lift that goes up. You, take, you walk across. You don't have to go and put on like hiking boots and... <laughs> you know, some of them are air conditioned. I think the one in Vietnam, parts of it are air conditioned, right? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, so I agree. The, the, as the well. extent to which governments go to mm. go and attract the tourist dollar, it is incredible. Yeah. Instead, we should focus on maybe like um, heritage, uh, culture. You know, I feel that this is definitely lacking in so our country. So then the other point of view is that the people who run the tourism departments in governments. There's a certain element of, how would I say, detachment or ignorance. I don't know, right? I mean, when you look at the Malaysian Tourism Board, right, do, do they really know, um, are, are they doing a good job of 
driving the tourist dollar to this country? I think the debate is, is there. Yeah. The debate is there. And you can actually listen to conversations that we've had with them on the breakfast grill. We had the Minister for Tourism herself, um, Dato Sri Nancy Shukri. And we also had the Chief of uh, Tourism Malaysia as well. Not too long ago, you know, look up those podcasts on the BFM app. Um, another element of the story that may be interesting to explore is just the pursuit of world records, right? Yeah. So on one way to attract tourists is having these fancy glass bridges, but also that title of having the world's long the world's largest, the yeah. world's tallest. This That's also something. Yeah. And we have actually uh, the oldest prime minister in the world. Oh, wow, that's uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not sure people can come and see him. Yes. He's not like an exhibition, <laughs> you know. He's, he's, a, like he's a real person, like the queen, but yes. Yes, and uh, surprisingly, we also have the, uh, we scored a Guinness World Record for the world's biggest banknote back in 20, I mean, this is 2017. Really? What was that? The yeah. 10,000 ringgit, was it? Um, I'm trying to see here. I think at one point in time we had a 500 ringgit and we had a 1,000 ringgit. We did. We did I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Uh, I I only found out much later that we had those in circulation once upon a time. And we have the world's heaviest train pulled using teeth. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That was back in 2003, actually, quite a long time ago. I remember the picture. It's quite incredible. Yeah, so. He had a a lovely pair of choppers, that fella. I wonder if they were real or fake. I suppose they had to be they real, to right? Be real. Like <laughs> to the, have the strength. The tensions would just fly out, right? <laughs> But in any case, if you as an individual are interested in breaking a world record, you can actually submit an application to Guinness, uh, this Guinness World Records. Oh, I looked it up. I, I, did it, uh, I did it for you so I can let you know. Okay. Um, you can apply online. Uh, the waiting period for all applications is a maximum of 16 weeks. So you'll have to wait a bit for them to come back to you to see whether you could actually do this or not. Uh, what I found interesting was the list of um, records that they did not consider for contention. Uh, this includes things like... Um, they don't consider uh, most people eating or drinking at an event uh, as a record to be broken. Mm. Uh, they say that these records need to be measurable and they need to be breakable. The idea is that uh, there has to be some continuity to it, as in somebody can attempt to break it if they want it to. Um, one thing that made me um, giggle was they did not, uh, they rejected applications to score how many people, how fast you can blink your eyes in a minute. That is not. <laughs> That's not a record to be broken. They don't monitor that, just so you know. Okay. Some people are very free, lah. Well, you, you some people to, just want to... No, they just want to get their name on the Guinness World. Yeah, yeah, they just want to get... Yeah, and actually I was looking at this up. Who is the, this man who actually have the, uh, the most Guinness World Records? And this is a guy called Ashrita Furman. He has 600 official Guinness Records and he currently holds 530 of them. I think wow. some of the rest of me was broken by someone else. But it's like 600 or 530. That's crazy. So, so he's a professional world record yeah, breaker. Yeah, you can call that. You can say that, actually. <laughs> that would make a great business card. It I can would, see right? that. Yep, professional world record breaker. Tell us what you think. You know, should co- countries or individuals, what's the value in pushing for these world records? Or how do you think um, countries should uh, do their tourism campaigns? How should that be? Uh, what's, str- what's the strategy that should be applied there? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.26 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. We'll come back after that with a look at global headlines. Taking you to the news is Simply Red with Stars. BFM 89.9.
Red Hot Chili Peppers with Scar Tissue. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Kusu Chuang and Tan Chen Lee. 6.40 in the morning on Friday, the 3rd of June. It's that time of day where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Who'd like to start with what's caught their eye this morning? I want to talk about OPEC Plus. Well, the headlines on a lot of newspapers today. Uh, because they have finally agreed to open the tap a little faster in the summer months. Uh, I think for the next two months, they're going to Im- uh, increase their output uh, or monthly supply by 50%. So, <laughs> stop it, Chuang. So, so, in any case, this is actually a good thing because uh, summer months and we are expecting a lot of travels in the US. Um, this will definitely help. And not forgetting that Joe Biden has been courting them for many months already and they finally agree to it. And I'm actually very surprised with this. Uh, I thought that they won't be turning or doing anything with the output. So we do know that um, President Joe Biden, U.S. President Joe Biden, is going to Saudi Arabia. He's planning a meeting with... Um, this month, right? This Later this month, exactly. And this is coming after, I think, they've tried months to establish rapport with the Crown Prince. He's tried to establish rapport with the Crown Prince. It hasn't really um, happened. Uh, they, they've kind of had an icy relationship. So this does Since seem- the journalist uh, incident... Uh, For sure. Yes, a few years yeah. ago. And I think they haven't been talking on the phone even. Um, so this is actually a very interesting development. This does signal a warming of ties. Mm. And we did speak to Wayne Thun of Bloomberg NEF yesterday on outlook for the oil sector. He uh, was of the opinion that um, he didn't think OPEC Plus would raise the would raise the taps, would open the taps too much. Um, we'll see whether this actually holds up and what happens moving forward. Yeah, oil is not the only thing that's tight in the world. In America, more than 10 states have recorded um, out-of-stock rates for baby milk, uh, but that out-of-stock rates are more than 90%. Baby okay? formula, right? Yeah, baby formula. So one out of every five American states is extremely short of baby milk, right, in infant formula. And uh, despite the best efforts by Joe Biden, he's got three programs going on simultaneously, including the second one, which is launched um, quite amusingly, Operation Fly Formula. But <laughs> none of them have come to, uh, to to much because, obviously, look at the look at the spikes in in, in 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 basically deficit rates. It's crazy. I mean, these shortages have been going on since February. So he's, uh, I think, the flights to bring in to import baby formula only started happening perhaps a couple of weeks ago. So it will take some time for supply to actually come up to the levels that are needed. I think the Abbott factory, I'm not sure if it has already been reopened, but there were talks on reopening that Abbott factory that was shut down, which uh, which started this whole supply shortage. Um, but this is an example of what happens when, uh, when I feel it's an example of what happens when there's just too much concentration on a number of small factories to produce a really important uh, product. Yeah, that is a good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, actually another thing that is of scarcity a little bit here, which is not a really scarcity, but um, Pakistan actually, their foreign exchange reserve fell below ten billion US dollar. So. Is this a little bit of following the footsteps of Sri Lanka? We don't know. But then this is definitely not a good sign, you know, when it comes to economic crisis. So uh, I think they're also having some delays in terms of the uh, their talks with IMF for a, for a loan. So hmm. we know that Pakistan recently changed government. Uh, the former prime minister uh, Imran Khan was ousted in a parliamentary vote. So whether the new government can bring uh, the economy into stable keel, even keel, I think that's the big question everyone's looking at at the moment. Moment. Yeah, what is also short of uh, in the world is positivity because a day after JP Morgan chief executive Jamie Demon said that storm clouds are, are on the horizon with an imminent hurricane on, on the horizon, um, Goldman Sachs president Robert Waldron, also John Waldron actually pa- piled on with more pessimistic op- opinions. He said he's going to avoid more weather um, metaphors, but he said that this is among 
including inflation, monetary policy, the Russian invasion. These are among the most complex and dynamic financial market environments he's ever seen in his career. Okay? Mm. The yeah. confluence of the number of shocks to the system, to me, is unprecedented. So then, so then, obviously, what happens next, right, in terms of the American economy? Do the Fed uh, pause their rate hike? Do they pause their tapering? I don't know. I don't think there are any indications yet that they are looking to pause. But yeah, there are a lot of, uh, there's a swirling factor, lots of swirling economic factors here that are in the mix. Um, other headlines? Um, well, sticking to South Asia, actually, tomatoes uh, might be the, well, actually, the next big risk to Modi's fight against inflation. That's what the title is saying, because average price for tomatoes actually have doubled from a year ago. And the average retail price for tomatoes in India has jumped 70% from a month ago and 168%. From a year earlier. Oh, yo, tomatoes are so expensive. Huh? I didn't know that. That's Don't so... order your pizza marinara anymore. Okay? No, but you, you have to see that tomato is a very important recipe. When it, it is, comes it in, is. Uh, in terms of Indian uh, uh, recipes, actually. Correct. So, uh, onion as well. So, I think onion is also the next thing that may have some uh, inflation issues. So, we're seeing high inflation in India. And we do know that the Central Bank of India is trying to grapple with that. They did hike rates uh, earlier this year or just last month. Um, will they, how, how, what's the pace of tightening? I think everyone one has their eyes on that. Uh, let's end on a slightly upbeat note, if you will. Uh, the Queen is celebrating her four-day-long birthday bash. Uh, I think yesterday they had the royal family on the balcony uh, to watch the Trooping of the Colour. So there's going to be lots of headlines coming out uh, from UK newspapers about all that they see of the royal family goings on. 6.46 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we'll take a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Pat Benatar there, all fired up for the weekend. So are we, Pat. So are we. We are the morning run. I'm Shazana with Chuang and Chen Li. 6.50 in the morning, Friday the 3rd of June. We're taking a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Chen Li, get us started. What's caught your eye this morning? I'm chicken again, actually. And uh, this time it's about the breeders. They actually want to have the chicken feed stabilized instead of, uh, well, they actually want the government to uh, expedite the subsidy payment. Uh, about the feed. So they, uh, instead of talking about so uh, the ceiling price of chicken at 890 uh, I think a lot of attention now is drawn on the feed instead because that's where the main cost of bulk of the cost is and that's what's driving the uh, cost of producing chicken. So uh, farmers are asking for perhaps a ceiling price on feed rather than a ceiling price on chicken, chicken. and uh, so, rather and also rather than giving subsidies to farmers, just putting that ceiling price as the subsidy for them rather than them right. individually applying for it yes. as what was this case beforehand. And speaking of ceiling price of chicken, uh, instead of because it was initially saying that it will end uh, by June fifth, it will be extended to the end of the month now, um, which is well, I guess just of some buffer of time here to help with uh, whoever that's in need of this uh, subsidy. Yeah, yesterday we also saw news from the Education Minister, Dr. Razi Jidin, who said that following last year's uh, abolishment of the, of the Standard 6 exams, um, there's going to be now no more Form 3 exams. And uh, that has really, really divided parents, including our, our own household, right? Mm. Because we have come from a product of, you know, these nationwide examination and assessments, 
and we well we we have a consensus in terms of how effect, effective they're engaging your, your child's performance in school. Now this, the government wants school-based assessments to occur and the, these school-based assessments are much more granular in terms of their abilities and it also includes um, your physical uh, portions, your, you know, your, um, the, the quantitative assessments from individual teachers and they're going to use these to, to, to assess your, your child going forward. I, I'm really um, quite distressed by this la, because it just what? seems to be a reflection of this country's approach towards academic uh, achievements. What is, what is, I suppose, what's the value to you of these nationwide exams, Chuang? Why are you attached to this notion that all students must be evaluated on a national basis? Because it, it allows you an elements of um, a neutrality. Because when you have school-based assessments, these are the same teachers that, that teach you and, and assess you and, and interact with you on a daily basis. So then there's an element of bias in there. When you have a national assessment, the, 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 the people who mark your papers, they don't know your child. They're just based on the exact answers itself. Okay, so, so that's the neutrality element. But what would you say about arguments that these national-based exams, they're not helping our critical thinking assessment either, right? Mm. I mean, it's very... It, it, I think nationwide exams have been seen as the culprit on why we're such rote learners. Everyone's just looking to get that A, you know, game the system, achieve as many straight A's as possible but, without really cultivating a more uh, critical approach to learning. But that, that's, not a, that's not a direct result of the exam. Like, for example, when you have the Western uh, uh, um, schooling system, which has got IGCSE, you've got your International Baccalaureate, these exams have not been removed. In fact, they're, they're global assessments. We mm. still have the SPM, for that matter, and th- those IGCSEs yes, but, and Baccalaureate are for those older students correct. who maybe perhaps need a kind of benchmark. But when you're talking about younger students, like primary school students, do they really need the stress of national exams? I I am actually a little bit uh, in between here because I am not I don't really like exams and I don't believe in exam uh, examination systems. But the thing is, there is still all these exams when you're at a higher education, a higher level of education uh, hierarchy. I don't know what you call that. But um, you know, unless we do away completely with all these exams, then if you only allow a child to go for a formal exam at the age of seventeen, is that a little are, are they, too late? Yeah, are they prepped for it because they haven't done it their whole life and then you have to go for a very ex- important exam at that time. I feel like they do have exams every every term, every end of the year. Schools do have exams. So I don't I, I kind of disagree with the fact that they're not going to be used to exams. I, I don't think so. I think exams will, are still part of their schooling but obviously it's become a lot more decentralized and whether that's a good thing or bad thing is up for debate. For me, what came to what I was struck by, what I was struck by is, is this decision taken um, in haste? You know, is it because we haven't had the PT3 for two years, 2020, 2021, um, during that time, have they been thinking about what's going to happen to replace it? Uh, So if there is a structure in this transition and they have clear plans, I'd feel a lot more reassured about uh, doing away with national exams. Yeah, and the track record of the education ministry suggests that they're not, you know, um, highly considered in terms of their decision making. A lot of them are taken in haste and there's many, many political dimensions to their decisions. Lots of questions here. I'm sure we'll be discussing this more moving forward. We're coming up to 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And after that, we'll take a look at how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is David Bowie with Black, no, Back Country Rock. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.